This Green Biz Radio podcast is brought to you by BP, working to provide today's energy while transitioning to a low-carbon future. More information at bp.com slash US. You're listening to Green Biz Radio, the voice of greenbiz.com, bringing you news and analysis on business, the environment, and the bottom line. For Green Biz Radio, I'm Associate Editor Tilde Herrera. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company in Chico, California makes some of the most recognizable beers in the country. But since its inception nearly 30 years ago, the company has tried to soften its environmental impact in an industry that is extremely resource and energy intensive. For example, its efforts in finding uses for all of its waste streams has diverted tons from the local landfills and saved the company millions. Today we'll talk to Cherie Chastain, the brewery's sustainability coordinator, to talk about some of the company's latest environmental efforts, including getting off the grid. By the end of the year, Sierra Nevada could be generating enough renewable energy on site to satisfy all of its operational needs. Cherie, let's start with a little background about Sierra Nevada and its early environmental initiatives. What were some of the drivers behind these initiatives then versus now? Sierra Nevada was founded in 1979 and sold our first year in 1981. Uh, Sierra Nevada was it was a home brewing venture that turned into a capital business. Uh, the brewery was founded using recycled dairy equipment and being a small company, uh, this whole idea of resource conservation and consuming less overall um, and recycling and reusing was really a founding principle for the company. Those founding principles have stuck with this company to today. Uh, we have currently a little over 450 employees. Uh, we have a restaurant on site, a concert venue on site, as well as the brewing and bottling facility. Now, when you talk about uh, founding principles, because it was a small business that was hatched out of this home brewery, the mantra of having to recycle and reuse, was that more about economics or was that more about ideals? You know, it was a little of both, and it still is to this day a little little of both. Uh, In Chico, California, where we're at, it's kind of a whole mindset, especially within our culture of our town, is being good environmental stewards and, you know, just leaving a small footprint. Um, But it was also an economic necessity. The more you waste, the more you have to purchase. So it makes sense both economically and from a cultural point of view to engage in these kinds of practices. Now, so those are the drivers. Would you say that those drivers have evolved? You know, I'd say the the drivers are still there and they're still the same. Um, but since the company has grown so much, so have those guiding principles. They've become a little more prominent. And I think a lot of it, it goes back to consumer awareness, that consumers are now starting to ask questions of their products and how their products were developed. So companies and employees are having to pay a lot more attention to these things like recycling and energy conservation. Can you talk a little bit about some of the early initiatives in terms of recycling, reusing? Recycling is is the first and and largest of our environmental programs. Um, We recycle pretty much everything on site, everything from cans and bottles in the break room to cardboard and shrink wrap in the manufacturing process as well as scent grains and yeast for animal feed from the brewing process itself. Um, Most of the materials that we are recycling today are materials that have always been recycled. Um, 
the cans of bottles specifically, uh, the glass bottles from our from our filling production. The spent grain tops and yeast has been recycled for ooh, more than more than ten or fifteen years, and that all goes to, for animal feed, which is a substantial amount of our solid waste. Actually, is the spent grain tops and yeast by volume and by percentage. How much has your recycling program saved the company on an annual basis? For 2007, I just did the numbers for that, and we diverted a little over 31,000 tons of material from landfill. By diverting that volume of material from landfill, it saved the company a little over $1 million in landfill tipping fees. The tipping fees are the amount of money that you pay the landfill to dispose of, of your items within the landfill. Now that's a million dollars in tipping fees, but there's also an additional almost two million dollars in waste hauler service fees. So that's your bin charges, your fuel and your environmental charges, and the general services of having your materials taken to landfill. So by recycling a little over 31,000 tons of material, we saved approximately $3 million in waste charges from the hauler and from landfill. Now, in that same process, we brought in, uh, I think, a little, it was between eight, $800,000 and $850,000 in revenue on those materials that we diverted. Are there any expenses associated with your recycling program? There's, there are some, as the recycling program grows and expands, there are some capital investments that need to be made, and that's for things like bins. Um, we do have a sanitation crew, so there's the labor hours involved of going around and picking up this material and, and getting it to an appropriate place where it can be recycled. Now, the company has set a goal of using only renewable energy and getting off the grid. Can you tell me a little bit about how this goal was created, why it was created, what the company is doing in terms of achieving it? Sure. Uh, our energy generation program was developed for two main reasons. The first reason is a reliable source of power. Uh, when the power goes down at our manufacturing plant, we lose product. That product is money, essentially. So we found ourselves in a situation where we didn't have extremely reliable power. Uh, so we started looking at opportunities of ways that we could generate our own power. Now, it's also going back to these same sustainability principles of removing yourself from the grid, consuming less energy, putting less demand on the local utility, which then puts less demand on your community in a, in a power shortage situation. So we've come about this in two main ways. The first was fuel cell installation. We installed four 250 kilowatt fuel cells. They're direct fuel cells. They run on a blend of natural gas from the pipeline as well as waste methane that's generated at our on-site water treatment plant. So we're able to take a byproduct from our wastewater treatment and start releasing it as a greenhouse gas. We're able to capture that and produce electricity with it. So that was the first main energy generation installation. The second was solar generation. We've installed, uh, I think it's a 503 kilowatt system. I, I believe that's DC power. Uh, so roughly half a megawatt of solar 
in, a, in the form of a parking lot structure. So it's an elevated structure. It's a sun tracking system, which increases the efficiency. The panels actually move with the sun across the sky. We're also installing, in the process of installing, another full megawatt of power on our warehouse rooftop. So our bottle shop and, and beer warehouse and storage warehouses are all going to be covered in solar panels. The first phase of the rooftop solar installation is scheduled to be finished uh, by the end of this, this month, this February. And then uh, the second phase will include another warehouse that has not actually been built yet, and that's scheduled to be finished by the end of 2008. The total square footage will have, I think, over 120,000 square feet of solar panels. And when, with the completion of this solar installation at the end of the year, will you be completely off the grid? We will be um, almost off the grid. We'll be at about 80% total self-generation. Uh, we will be off the grid during peak hours, during peak demand time, uh, but there are some times where we will need to pull energy off the grid. You, you talked about um, instances where the company found itself without reliable power supplies. Can you talk a little bit about those situations? Sure. It's mostly just our local utility, and for some reason or another, there's a power outage, a pole goes down, or there's maintenance and they lose power to specific areas. It, it was mostly just you know, our local utility, and it was everybody kind of in our vicinity was affected by it. Okay, and when, when you talk about the fuel cell, when was that installed? The fuel cell installation was completed in the summer of 2005. Okay, and how long, how long was that process, and what were the challenges there? You know, the, the main challenges come from the fact that it's a new technology. So with any new and emerging technology, you're going to have bumps in the road that you have to get over, and it's mostly programming and just kind of working out the bugs on it. As far as actually building and, and getting it permitted, fuel cells are currently exempt from California air permitting requirements. Uh, so permitting was relatively easy. We did have to get building permits, but I think that was the extent of the, the permitting problems that we ran into. And when you consider the cost of installing these various renewable energy systems and the amount that you're actually saving in energy expenses each year, what is the ROI? What, what sort of return on investment are you looking at? Sure. The return on investment for both the solar panels and the fuel cells is roughly six to seven years each. Uh, so the fuel cells have been up and running for about two and a half years. So, you know, we've, we've got another four and a half or so years left on that on that investment. That investment period, that payback period, was made possible because of um, rebates and tax credits, tax incentives. Uh, we had some rebates from the local utility. Uh, we also had some rebates from the Department of Defense. So that helped out significantly. The solar installation, um, also has a roughly six to seven year payback period at this time. And of course, all of this is pending, you know, what electricity prices are gonna be and that kind of thing. You mentioned it earlier, you talked about um, your water treatment facility. We installed a wastewater treatment plant, I believe six or seven years ago. It was right around the year 2000. Um, the brewing industry, does produce a lot of wastewater, and it puts a big demand on the local city systems. 
So our city came to us and said, your company is growing, you're producing a lot more wastewater. We can either bump up your rates and have to charge you a lot more, or you can install your own water treatment facility. So we did the responsible thing and installed our own wastewater treatment facility. I'm not exactly sure on the payback period of the water treatment facility, uh, but it was obviously economically beneficial for us, otherwise we wouldn't have installed it. Uh, the water treatment plant handles all of our brewery wastewater, so any water associated with the brewing process, cleaning water, brewing water, sanitation water, any of that water goes to the water treatment plant. It goes through a two-stage digestion process. It goes through an aerobic and an anaerobic digestion process. It's all completely contained on site at Santa Nevada. The anaerobic digestion process is what produces the, the uh, excuse me, methane that goes to the fuel cells, fuel source. And we're also in the permitting process to be able to utilize our treated wastewater um, as irrigation water for the on-site hop field and some of our irrigation needs on site. You said that the city approached you about the amount of water, uh, um, the amount of wastewater that was being generated. How much water are we talking? You know, it's, it's quite a significant amount. I believe it's roughly 100,000 gallons a day. Now, you mentioned that the company was able to utilize various rebates and tax breaks uh, for making some of these improvements. Can you talk a little bit about those incentives and how easy or how difficult it was to find them? Sure. Most of it was handled by the companies that we were contracting with to install some of these programs. Uh, the rebates, uh, we obviously worked with our local utility and we have a uh, representative from the local utility assigned to our account. And it was easy working with that person to find out, one, what rebates are available, and two, how do we go about taking advantage of them. Uh, and then the companies that we contracted with also found a lot of the other rebates that were out there, um, the Department of Energy and, and those rebates that were out there. Okay. When, when you consider all of the various environmental initiatives that the company has taken on, which would you say have been the easiest, the sort of low-hanging fruit? The low-hanging fruit, I think, is just consuming less and producing less waste. Uh, the consumption end is e it's so easy for a company to go through and do kind of an energy audit and see what lights are on and how many are on and is it necessary to have them on. And just by shutting lights off or assigning sensors or timers to lights, uh, you'd be amazed at, at the difference in your electricity bill. Um, and then recycling is such a, an easy program to institute. Um, I think the state of California especially has made it incredibly easy for people to recycle. And it's such an easy thing to do, and it can save a company a lot of money. Uh, what, what are some of the other things the company has done to soften its environmental footprint that didn't really cost a lot? Uh, things that don't really cost a lot is, is, again, going back to consumption, just kind of looking at our process and where are we wasting resources? Where are we wasting water? Where are we wasting electricity? Where are we producing waste and what kind of waste are we producing? Is there a way to minimize that waste, to not have that waste coming out of that process or that technology or, or that piece of equipment? Um, and then, you know, working with vendors on the materials that they're sending in is a really easy thing to do. 
Just to ask them, is it necessary to have this much packaging on this product that you that we have to order from you? And surprisingly, they're they're all very willing to work with us, and they'll say, yeah, you know, you're right. I didn't need that packaging, and it reduces their cost. It reduces our cost. It reduces our waste. So it's beneficial for everybody. Um, you know, you make a product that is shipped all over the country, and I assume out of the country as well. Uh, how does Sierra Nevada handle the transportation-related emissions and footprint? Transportation is is a difficult monster to tackle. Uh, transportation has, I think, the largest environmental impacts of our whole process, and, and I'm sure industry as a whole. We've tried doing a lot of different things. Uh, we've started a couple of rail transport programs the first one is bringing our raw material, our grains, in from Canada by rail rather than truck. We can get four truckloads of grain to one rail car. So instead of having to drive four trucks across the United States, we can now rail them in and get multiple rail cars per train. So that's saving the company almost a million dollars a year in doing that. It's reducing emissions, it's reducing congestion, uh, reducing accidents on the roadways. We're also using the rail system to transport our finished product. So we're using what's called intermodal transportation, where we fill a tractor, a truck up with our product, drive it to the rail line, it's then loaded onto a rail car, and then railed across the United States instead of having to drive that truck across the United States. Again, that's saving our company um, a significant amount of money by doing it that way, and it's also reducing emissions, congestion, and, and all of the other environmental impacts associated with transportation. Now, how does the company communicate all of these environmental initiatives to the public? You said that the public is much more aware of these sort of things. How does the company communicate these things, or do you? Good question. Uh, I think. The, the general public as a whole is becoming aware of environmental issues in general and just starting to question, I think, all industries. We struggled with um, marketing our environmental programs. Uh, we've seen a lot of companies get into hot water uh, in, while they're incorrectly marketing their environmental programs, not advertising it as as truthfully as they should have been, and there's been some backlash from consumers on that. So it's a really tricky, tricky thing to um, approach with consumers. We've chosen to um, not market our products based on our environmental stewardship and market on our product instead. Um, we are starting to get some of our environmental programs out there to other businesses and to the general public as more of a role model setting, uh, just kind of letting people know that this is what we're doing and giving people resources and, and knowledge that maybe hopefully they can do the same thing and start instituting the same kind of recycling program or energy conservation within their own business. So, so, so at this point it's more of outreach to other companies. Yeah, when consumers are curious and interested, we are, you know, of course, more than happy to share our story with them. But but at this point, we're marketing more on our quality rather than, than our environmental stewardship. Okay. Do you give tours to the public? 
There are public tours available mm -hmm. at the at the brewery on a daily basis. I do private tours for special groups that kind of focus on our sustainability program. Uh, but again, that's a private thing. Just to sort of take a step back, can you talk about the industry as a whole in terms of environmental stewardship? Are the things that Sierra Nevada is doing, are they typical in this particular sector? I think some of the things that Sierra Nevada is doing, um, especially the fuel cells and the solar panels, those larger programs, are, are unique to Sierra Nevada. However, the brewing industry as a whole relies on the environment so heavily for our raw materials, our grains, our water, um, you know, that, that all comes from the environment. So I think the brewing industry has this ingrained sense of needing to take care of that environment in order to maintain the sustainability of your business. Uh, if you continue to degrade the environment, you lose your raw materials and your business will decline. Now, just um, generally speaking, um, having spearheaded some of these efforts, what would you say are the challenges and opportunities presented from a company trying to be a good corporate citizen? You know, the biggest challenge that I see in networking with people in my position is, um, which I, I have the benefit of not having to go through, is working for a corporation. Uh, there's shareholders and stakeholders and board members, and it's much more difficult to get programs through all of the different facets that it needs to run through in order to get them instituted. Working for a private company, it's incredibly easy to go to our owner, especially since he's so aware and involved in our environmental program, and say, hey, I think this is a really good thing and I think we should do this. I just have to go to one person. Mm -hmm. There's no bottleneck. Exactly, there's no bottleneck. So I think that's the biggest roadblock for a lot of people and a lot of companies at this at this point. I think capital investment is also another really difficult monster to deal with. There is a lot of capital investment to maintain programs, to institute programs like solar panels. And what about opportunities? Oh, I think there's ample opportunity. Um, there's so many small things that make such a big difference like shutting off the lights or shutting off the water. It, it, it's such a small thing, and it makes such a big difference. Getting off of junk mail lists is another very small thing that a company or a person can do in their life that makes a huge impact. So even if you don't have the capital to invest in larger programs, there's a lot of small projects that can be done. So where does Sierra Nevada go from here? Oh, goodness. We have a long way to go. Um, I, I am the sustainability coordinator here, and I will be the first to tell you that there are a lot more things that we could be doing to, to work towards being a sustainable business. I don't think that there are any fully sustainable businesses out there. Um, you know, just being a manufacturer that sells a good, we're inherently going to have this problem of transportation and its impact on the environment. So looking at alternative fuels or ways that we can reduce uh, the transportation impacts is going to be a big project for us. Uh, reducing electricity and water consumption is also going to be another project. Although we are generating most of our own power on site, if it's wasted with inefficient use, we've kind of defeated the purpose. So I think just focusing on efficiency in all sectors is going to be an important 
process. Thank you so much for being here today, Cherie. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Green Biz Radio. For the latest daily news on business, the environment, and the bottom line, and to sign up for our free newsletters, visit greenbiz.com.